took the endeavor of Route 66, a journey through the Bible, and we are done, not done reading it, but done with our journey. And so today is going to be a very different service um, than we've ever probably done before. And so I'm preparing you that for that now, and we're going to have a lot of fun together, but f- it's going to be a nice celebration. But now, before we go any further, I told you this is going to be a very different service I need volunteers, I need readers, and in in fact, I need 18 different readers. So, put your hands up, everybody, let's let's start handing out Bibles. Here we go, (laughs) starting at one. Thank you, Tom. Two, thank you, Anne. Three, there we go. Here we go. Beautiful, coming in, coming in. So the scripture passages are on those sheets of paper just so to make it easy for you so you don't have to Here we go. We got a good passage. You got a good passage for them. We got several more. I got more. Thank you. Then I need two more special volunteers to be my lackeys. One to pass around a mic to all the readers when I call them out. Can I get somebody to be my runner? All right. Thank you, sir. And then, Lisa, I saw your hand go up, so you get to be my tape person, so I will come to you when I need pieces of tape. (laughs) Great. All right, now that we've got that, let's pray and let's dig in. Dear Father, thank you for giving us your word in such an accessible and easy-to-use form that it's so widely available today that we can all read through it in a year and it doesn't have to be chained to a pulpit. Uh, Lord, we, we invite you here this morning. We invite your Holy Spirit to be here with us and working in our hearts as we talk about uh, what we just read. And Lord, may you be the center of our worship. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, start it off. Who's my first reader? Number one, there it is. Thank you, sir. From Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 26. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And from John, chapter 1, verse 1 and 6. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this is where everything started. This is where back all the way one year ago we started our journey in Genesis. According to the movie Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, one way to look at this is in the beginning the universe was created, and this was, has made a lot of people very angry and has been widely regarded as a bad move. It's funny. Thank you for the chuckles. But just like the earth or just like the church often does it overlooks perhaps one of the most eh, maybe not the most but an important part of that of that creation narrative of that story and it's that the humans us humans were made in god's image now we also we always like to jump 
past that, we always go through the creation narrative and into the fall right away where we sin. But first, before anything happened in the Garden of Eden, we were created in God's image. What does this mean? So there's three different words. We'll see them up on the screen that I like to use to kind of help remember this. One is that we represent God. Two is that we reflect God. And three is that we resemble God. So first, representing God. We are God's stand-in people here on earth. He put us here, and he put us and gave us dominion over the whole earth to be his representatives. His rule, he is king over all, and we are like his magistrates. We're the people that he has put in charge here on the earth to help it flourish. We also reflect God. So we're like a mirror, perhaps. There's the glory of God is reflected through his creation of us. We are incredibly complex beings. There are things that we still don't understand about ourselves, and that is a reflection of how the incredible power and, and um, creativity of God. And it's reflected through us and who we are and how we live. And third, we resemble God. We resemble God in that we are able to have relationships. We're able to love each other. We're able to have emotions, to, be, to have intimacy. God is, is, he's so good and he made that in us and that we are supposed to resemble that through the whole world and through our lives. Every human being was created in God's image. That means that every human being has immense value. Whether you're black or you're white, whether you're Asian or African or Arabic or Hispanic, no matter where you are, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what situation you find yourself in, you were created in God's image. That has never been taken away from you. And that means that every single human being has immense value. Something that I think our culture recognizes, and we, like to, we, we, we recognize that humans have worth, hence why our Constitution and other such things are set up the way they are. But nobody's able to articulate it like the Bible does. This is the reason humans have immense worth, because we were created in God's image. That's why each and every human is worth so much. So now... As we continue on, I'm not going to give the whole sermon at once. We're going to be spreading this out throughout the service. Since everybody was created in God's image, I'd like you now to stand up, turn to your neighbors who were created in God's image, and welcome them this morning to worship. do a responsive reading. And normally the speaker speaks first and then you speak, but we're going to kind of switch it around this morning. And you guys are going to start uh, with what's on the screen. God has given all creatures their being, form, and appearance and their various functions for serving their creation.
right. Number two, who's my second reader? There we are. Can we get her the mic? Wonderful. Genesis 3, 1 through 8. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And this is where it all went wrong. We like to call this, sometimes you'll hear this referred to as the fall. And that, that's fine. However, I think that's a little bit too passive of a term. Because that's got the, 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 the connotation that, oh, we were walking and then, oh, we just tripped over something. But, oh, no, we fell. Woe is us. But that's not what happened. We didn't fall. We intentionally made a choice. And we rebelled. God, the one who, who sustains our life, the reason that we're breathing... And we rebelled against him. It'd be like, for, for instance, if we were scuba diving, and we just decided all of a sudden we were just going to take the oxygen t- tank or oxygen t- out of our mouths and the tank off our backs and chuck it and just be good to go. It's absurd. It doesn't make sense. And the actions in the garden, sin itself doesn't make sense. But nonetheless, what it was, it turned us against our Creator. We went from being citizens in the kingdom of God to rebelling against him, committing treason and becoming citizens in the kingdom of sin. We're made to reflect God's image, but no longer are we with him. We hid ourselves from him. We can't be in his presence. So how do we reflect? How do we resemble a God when we are fighting against him? And the worst part, maybe not the worst part, but one of the, the parts that always hits me really hard is we were given rule over all of creation, over the earth, over the plants and the animals. And so we rebelled. They had no choice. They were with us. And so they were cursed just like us. Be like as if the government of America declared war. We're citizens of America we are now at war with whoever that other country is. Well, the same for creation. We declared war on God. So now all of a sudden it's in war against God as well. Take time to lament this. Because this means that because we are not living with God and not living in his presence, the way we govern, the way we love, 
the manner of our relationships with each other and with ourselves is corrupted. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much good we intend to do, everything that we do will always be accompanied with pain and suffering because of sin. Or at least it was. That's the consequence of the rebellion in the garden. Adam and Eve started it. We've inherited it. And in fact, we've continued it. So now as we continue, sing a song of lament. Take this time to to let this hit. Let the guilt of that action of, of what we've subjected with ourselves and each other into creation be able to hit as well. And cry out and lament to God. You might remember this from our Psalms project a couple years ago. rebelled against the one who keeps us alive he didn't just immediately let us die he let us live banned from the garden of eden banned from our paradise but still alive and still able to worship him and so now i ask you to join me in a prayer a prayer of confession to the god who keeps us alive though we don't deserve it dear father Father, we confess that we have rebelled against you. We confess that though you are the giver and sustainer of life, Lord, we look elsewhere for it. We try to go on our own. We try to rely on our own wisdom, rely on our own power. And Lord, we feel the effects of it. We feel the effects of our sin in our daily lives and the relationships and our fights and our anger. We see the, the effects of it on, our, on your world, on your creation, Lord, what we've done to this earth. So, Lord, we ask for help. We ask that though we aligned ourselves against you, Lord, that you would bring us back. That you would free us from the, from the captivity of sin and make us your subjects again. Lord, we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Who's my third reader? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. 
You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and he destroy you off the face of the earth. God did not leave us in our corruption, in our state of, in, in the residence of the kingdom of sin. Though the whole world wandered away from God and started destroying itself, as we see in the story of Noah, God chose a people to be his witness to the world so that everyone would see how the way that life was supposed to be lived, how, what it was supposed to mean to be an image bearer of God. Now, those people that he chose, Israel, this message that we just read was addressed to them. It was their charge. This is what you are and who you are to be as a nation. They weren't chosen because they were any more righteous than anyone else or they had any special characteristics. They were just chosen. God said, you will be my people and the whole world will know my name through you. And now they went through a whole lot of trials and tribulations, starting with Abraham and going all the way up through Egypt and even into the time of when they were an actual nation. But through all of those trials, through all of those times when they kept trying to run away from God and he brought them back, they learned to trust him, to love him and to worship him. And he gave them this series of laws, this series of things that... We read in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers that are so boring and a lot of you said was so hard to get through, but it was so important because it showed the people of Israel what it meant to be image bearers of God in a world that was anything but. And so, as he gave them this, he gave them land. He gave the people of Israel, he gave them land at the crossroads of the ancient world. You had Africa coming up from, from the south. You had the, the trade from the east and the north and the west. All had to come through this little narrow, narrow land of Israel that God gave to them. Because there was a big old desert there. And so all these merchants and traders and kings and people from around the world would come through Jesus and the, or come through Israel. And the idea was that... They would then see what a community following after God looks like, and they would want to be part of that as well. Because of the winsomeness and the love in which they would see in Israel, they themselves would want to follow after God as well. And the crowning jewel of the nation of Israel was their temple. You're going to throw up an image of their temple there. The temple was unique. Now this actually isn't the first temple. This is the second temple that was on during the Roman times. Um, but this is in the model of it. But the temple was the place that was so unique because God dwelled there. For the first time since the garden, for the first time since rebellion happened, God dwelled with his people. That's a big deal. And so for now, what we're going to do to kind of see what this whole system of worship, what this temple looks like, we're going to set up our own little temple here in this, in this sanctuary. So my tape person, wonderful. Thank you. Tape number one. So the first part of this, on the outside, before you even got inside the walls, there were a couple things called the mikvah. They were pools. They were peop As people would come to the temple to worship, to come in towards the presence of God, they would go to these pools and they would ceremonially cleanse themselves. So they would dip themselves in water or whatnot. If you've heard of the pool of Bethesda, that was one of these such pools. So I'm going to put that in our little baptism thing. I feel like that's appropriate. So that'll be our mikvah. All right, the next thing 
next part of our temple. As you got in, when you were getting into the gates, God made this provision. So he wanted them, we, they had to do a system of sacrifices to, for, for cleansing of their sin. But when they're doing that, I mean, you're traveling 50, 60 miles to get to the temple. Who wants to carry along a cow or some doves and some pigeons to get there? So God was like, okay, sell those where you're at, get the money from that, and then come to the temple and then you can rebuy back those animals so you can sacrifice them without making it a burden. God wanted to make it easy on his people to come to his temple. So we've got the money changers. We'll see our little money changers symbol here. We'll put that on the offering plate. Okay. All right. Now we're in the temple. And so that big outer courtyard you see, that was called the court of Gentiles. So this is where anyone could come. Anyone, any foreigner, didn't have to be an Israelite. You would come here. And this was a source of community life. It was like a town center. It was buzzing at all times. There were tons and tons of people. So we got the court of Gentiles. And so that's going to be us, our congregation. So we'll put that right here. This is our seats. All right. After that... As you were going past the, the, the court of the Gentiles, you would run into this three-foot wall or this three-foot parapet that would go all the way around the actual temple. And that three-foot parapet was the division between the court of Gentiles and the court of women. Now, if you were not an Israelite, you were forbidden from passing through that, that little parapet on the penalty of death. So only Israelites could go past the, that parapet into the court of women. And since our front row seems to be our little parapet, we'll put it right there. <laughs> next, as you got even closer in, the next system of courts was called the Court of the Israelites. Now, we can, if you would like to talk about this later, I would love to talk with you right now. I'm not going to totally address it, but the Court of Women... Women could come in here, but the women couldn't go into the court of the Israelites. Only the men could go past the, into the court of the Israelites. So that was the next one. Actually, I'm going to take a chair, and we'll, we'll put a second front row, perhaps. And so now we've got the court of the Israelites. All right, now after the court of Israelites, so the men of Israel could go into there. Next, we get to the court of priests. And this, as the name suggests, is the place where only the priests could enter. I feel like this is an appropriate thing for the pulpit. All good. Next, we get to the altar. So the inside the court of priests, so the priests would take your cow, your, 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 your dove, your pigeon, whatever you brought for the appropriate sacrifice, and they would go in and they would go to the altar. Although first I'm going to talk about the bronze sea. So there's this big, if you remember reading about this massive bronze cauldron that Solomon made that he called the bronze sea. And this is where the priests would ceremonially wash themselves to make themselves clean before doing these sacrifices. So we'll make that our communion wine right now. And then we get to the altar. So they cleanse themselves. So the priests, you come up with your cows or whatnot. You give them to the priests. The priests would wash themselves. Then you co they, they would bring the cow over to the altar. And they would sacrifice the cow on the altar, put that with the bread, that works well. And that was part of the system of sacrifices for atoning for sin, for thanksgiving, for all of these things to show your worship to God whose presence was here, who was the driving force and sustainer of Israel. All right, now, inside the court of priests, inside the temple itself, there was one, a one-third division at the very back of it called the Holy of Holies. I'm going to stick this back here. 
And the Holy of Holies was the most important part of this whole thing because the Holy of Holies was where God actually resided. So the Ark of the Covenant, the thing that all the Israelites carried through the desert and around Jericho a bunch of times, that was in the Holy of Holies. And that's where God put his resting place, he called it. And no one could go in the Holy of Holies. You would die if you did, except for the high priest who went in there once a year to make a sacrifice for all of the Israelites in the presence of God. And separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was a three-foot-thick veil. Three feet thick. Massive. I hope this sticks. There's our veil. And a couple other things that were of note in there. Within that Ark of the Covenant, there was manna. Manna was the thing that God gave uh, the Israelites as they're traveling through the desert to sustain them. So he gave them this bread. And so they took some of that manna, and apparently it never rotted, and they put it inside the Ark, and there it stayed. So we'll keep the manna in our Holy of Holies as well. And as I mentioned before, we also had the high priest. So you had the court of priests and everyone, but there was one high priest who was able to do those sacrifices and he kind of enacted a bit as the head of of everything going on we'll also put that on the pulpit for now and lastly we had the sanhedrin so if you're looking at that picture and you see that part that has kind of the covered section or especially raised and covered section that was where and part of that was where the sanhedrin met now you might recognize the name sanhedrin as the bad guys from the gospel stories but they were good they were they were the they were a collection or a court of priests and this is where you would come to get justice done to have rulings made to um, settle disputes property disputes or, or or a whole bunch of different things this was originally a good thing so who wants to be my sanhedrin this is going to be one of the sides here take it any takers tom's my sanhedrin all right thank you tom And so we had this whole system, this whole temple system of worship, of coming closer to God while experiencing his presence and his reverence. And the whole purpose of this was so that we would, or so that Israel would have this place that they could say, this is where God is. This is the identity of our nation. We have God residing in our midst. And so who's my, looking for my fourth reader And so Solomon was the one who built the big temple, and he had this great big speech. And at the end, he had a benediction, which we'll hear from 1 Kings 8, verses 56 through 61. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine with which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. 
in that speech, Solomon says, by keeping his commandments, by doing all of these things, everyone will know who God is, what they're supposed to look like, what image they're supposed to be representing, reflecting, resembling. That is our mission, and that is what this temple is for, what it will do for us. But that didn't happen. The Israelites didn't keep the commandments well. They didn't keep this system of worship pure. They defiled it. They worshipped other gods. They did things that the nations around them were doing. Instead of reflecting God, instead of bearing the images of God, they turned from him and started pursuing every other god as well. So who's my fifth reader? And so this is the prof- one of the prophecies that was told for them. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass, pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell again? And the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephod small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the, buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the shaft for the wheat. The Lord has sworn, sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of the deeds of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account, and every one mourn who dwells in it? And all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon, and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning, and all of your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist, and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for only make it like the morning for an only son, at the end of it like a bitter day. Israel is supposed to resemble the love of God, and so here's what they did. They trampled on the needy. They brought the poor of the land to the end. They sought only for selling and profit. In fact, they were looking, instead of using the Sabbath as a day of rest and to glorify God, they only looked forward to the end of it when they could start making more money. And then when they were making more money, they cheated people. They used dishonest scales. And then with that money, they bought poor people and made them slaves. The very thing God was telling them not to do. Don't be like the other nations in this way, and they did it. So God wasn't just going to stand around and let his name be defiled like that. He was not a God like any other gods. His nation, his chosen people weren't supposed to act like the corrupted people all around them. And so he ended the nations of Israel and Judah. He sent them into exile. He had armies come and capture them and carry them away so they would no longer slander his name. And that was devastating because this temple was also destroyed with it. The national identity of Israel, all of the systems of worship that was supposed to be how they came to God, their, their, their pride and joy got destroyed with it. This is when you're, when you're slugging through the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Lamentations and all the minor prophets. This is what they were talking about. You guys, you got to stop doing that. You're going to lose everything. 
They didn't listen. And so they lost everything. Let's pray. Dear Father, Father, when we hear this story and we hear the commands and the things that you gave to Israel and how they didn't do it, Lord, it reminds, reminds me of myself. Um, Lord, I feel really guilty all the times and all the practices and all the things that, that we're supposed to do to reflect your glory and your love. And Lord, I do the opposite. Instead, I look just like all the corrupted cultures and, and evil practices around me. I don't always reflect you well. In fact, I rarely reflect you well, it feels like. Lord, I'm sorry. In your name I pray. Amen. Number six. Who's got number six? Thank you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's hope. Though their temple is lost, their land is gone, they're in a foreign nation, there is still hope. I invite you to stand and sing. is we know what's coming there's someone coming and it's jesus jesus is coming and the expectation the expectation is that he's going to come again and he's going to bring this system of worship back and bring back this light that points people back towards what it truly means to be the image of god so let's let's sing that in that longing in that moment of wanting jesus back that's what we hope that you would join and sing us with us in declaring that. All right, here we go. Now we get to the fun stuff. This is this is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah that was promised and that they hoped would restore everything, restore them so that they're no longer under Rome's rule, but are a kingdom themselves. Ah, but here's what happened. Who's my next reader? Number seven. Here we go. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So, right from the beginning, we see things starting to get upended because in the temple, you'd come in and you'd have to wash yourself with water to ceremonially cleanse yourself. But Jesus institutes baptism, and baptism cleanses you once and for all, and not just with water of dirt, but it cleanses your soul and your conscience and the promise of God that you are clean in his eyes, that you are able to approach him. All right, who's my next reader? I think it's number six. There we go. Excuse me. Acts 2, 38 through 41. 
And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who receive his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So through the baptism, we've gained entry into the temple. Here we are. All right, next reader. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of all who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So these money changers, what was supposed to make things easier was instead being making things harder. See, the people would come in, they'd come in with that money they sold from their cattle and their doves to come buy some more. Ah, but those crooked money changers... See, because they came in with Roman coins in the second temple, and you can't pay in the temple with Roman coins because they've got Caesar on them, and Caesar thinks he's a god, and we can't worship other gods in the temple. So instead what you're going to do is you're going to come in and exchange your Roman money for temple currency. Now the problem was when they exchanged their money for temple currency, the exchange rate was atrocious. It was something like the equivalent of $100 in American money for $1 in temple tax. And yet the prices for the cattle and the whatnot were still the same. So Jesus, when he was so angry that he wanted to flip tables, I'm not going to flip the table, I want to, but, and he was flipping tables, it was because they were turning it all into a den of robbers. This was supposed to be something that made it easier, and they were making it something that extorted and made it so much harder. So he took away the need for these money changers. All right, who's next? Number 11. Ten. Man. I don't. Getting excited. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. There's no Jew nor Greek, which means this whole court of the Gentiles thing doesn't matter anymore. Anybody can enter through here and even up into the court of women. Here we go. Foreigners, Gentiles getting into the court of women. We've taken down barriers here. Here we go. Court of women are gone. Women, congratulations. You can now come all the way into the court of the Israelites. Beautiful. All right. Next reader. Number 12, right? Gosh, darn all right. You guys keep For if the, the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? All right. Let me make sure I have this one correct. There we go. So now we have the system of sacrifices. And the system of sacrifices was supposed to... 
purify and, and cleanse your flesh away from all of the sin and the corruption, but it was only doing it in the fleshly side, and God wanted the heart to change as well. And so Jesus, through his sacrifice, well, he changes his heart by the Holy Spirit. It has the power, so there's no longer need for these blood sacrifices for the cows and the doves and everything to come forward because he made the one sacrifice that makes all of that obsolete or all of that fulfilled is probably a better way to say that. All right, next reader, which is number 12. There we go. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Well, there goes the bronze sea. No need to cleanse and purify yourself before coming into the temple and being a priest and whatnot. Next reader, 13. We have this as a sure and steadfast steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where jesus has gone as a forerunner on our half on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Maselzedek. therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great priest over the house of god Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So now we've gained access into the court of priests. No longer is this an exclusive club, but everyone who's within the kingdom of God can come into the court of priests. Next reader, number 14. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The veil, that three-foot-thick veil, torn. And the Holy of Holies is open. No longer is there division between the presence of God and everyone else. We have access to God through Jesus. The Holy of Holies is everywhere. The veil is torn. Next reader, number 15. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so they, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and if anyone eats my bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Wonderful. So now, thank you very much. That manna that was stored up in the ark, it's been fulfilled. No longer is he seeking for physical fullness, but a spiritual fullness that he gets and provides through his own body. All right, next reader, 16. Since then we have had a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we 
do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So no longer are we represented or no longer do we depend on an earthly high priest. We have a perfect high priest, one who still knows what it's like to be a human, but without the flaws, without the needing for cleansing, without the ability to only get to God once a year. He's in God's presence all the time, interceding, moderating, and and mediating on our behalf. Number 17, reader. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or more others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This verse, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, I've always taken that to mean, oh, I need to be praying with two or three people in order for God to be with me. That doesn't sound quite right. But in the context of this passage, what he's showing is he's showing this procedure that we had for the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, you needed two or three witnesses to bring a charge up against someone. And so now, instead of needing to go to a court of priests and priests that were so disconnected from the life of everyone else and who were a little corrupted, as we saw in the time of Jesus, and more concerned with the letter of law than with the love and the heart of God, We go with each other, and we hold each other accountable. And so the Sanhedrin is no longer necessary because we, the church, are the accountability. We're the ones who Jesus comes with, and he guides us, and he keeps us on the right way. So whereas where we may be tempted like Israel in the past to go away from him, he brings us back, both through what he's done and through each other. And so here we are at the end. I don't think there's any papers left that I missed. This whole system of the temple, this what Jesus, the promised Messiah, what Israel expected him to come and to make this whole again, to make this important again, to make all the nations come and do this system of worship, he completely upends it. It's totally different than they expected. It was the exact opposite of what they expected. Instead of making it happen again, instead of reinstituting it, he tore it all down. He tore the veil, the holy of holies, is exposed to everyone. And that's what we celebrate. That's the the, the climax of, of, of all of this. And there's many ways to say this, and this is one of them, that Jesus gave up his life such that we would have access and we would be able to dwell with our God once again. What we lost back in the Garden of Eden, now we have regained. And not through a system of worship of barriers that are necessary, but with open access all the time to God, the one who created us, the one who sustains us, the one who made us such that we could represent, resemble, and reflect him in all parts of our lives. Now, to 
remember that, to, co- to commemorate that what he's done, we're going to celebrate through communion. So if you would join me as we prepare um, through the meal that Jesus instituted, such that we could remember everything that he did on our behalf in this whole story up until this point. Would you please join me in this prayer? There will be words up on the screen. We'll say back and forth. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Holy and right it is, and our joyful duty to give thanks to you at all times and in all places, O Lord, our Creator, Almighty and everlasting God. You created heaven with all its hosts and the earth with all of its plenty. You've given us life and being and preserve us by your providence. But you have shown us the fullness of your love in sending into the world your Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh for us and for our salvation. For the precious gift of this mighty Savior who has reconciled us to you, we praise and we bless you, O God. And with your whole church on earth and with all the company of heaven, we worship and adore your glorious name. Together we say, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Most righteous God, we remember in this supper the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. And in the joy of his resurrection and expectation of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you as holy and living sacrifices. Together we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. So, Lord, we pray, send your Holy Spirit upon us, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and the blood of Christ. Grant that being joined together in him, we may attain the unity of faith and grow up in all things in Christ our Lord. And as the grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf, in these grapes from many hills into one cup. Grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Amen. Christ Church, we celebrate what is called an open table, meaning that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are welcome to come and join us in communion, and I hope that you would. On the night that he was betrayed... Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and he broke it, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup, and he said, This blood is the New Testament poured out for you. Take, drink, in remembrance of me. The elders come forward to serve. Come, for all things are ready.
feels like it's over, but it's not quite yet. There is one reader left, number 18, Miss Samantha. So this is a reading from Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jesus gave us access to the Holy of Holies and to God's spiritual presence, but God promises once more that he will be here physically among us, dwelling and living with us as he was in the Garden of Eden. That is our hope. That is what we look forward to. The kingdom of God is at hand, but the kingdom of sin is not fully defeated yet. And so we still feel the effects of that rebellion back in the garden. But Lord, we look forward to that day when we'll be rid of that and we'll be back with you again with no more pain, no more suffering, and things will be as they should. One more song. Let's get, let's get going. <laughs> whole Bible in one service. There you go. <laughs> All right. We get to continue our celebration after this with a potluck and a little congregational meeting. But now as you go, may the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you. But even so, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>